0: Hello, I'm Edgar Papke,
1: and I'm Ken Sagendorf. Welcome to the True Alignment Podcast, where we talk about all things alignment,
0: all things alignment in life, business, uh, broadcasting to you, podcasting to you live from the uh, Innovation Center at uh, Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University here in beautiful Denver, Colorado.
1: Yeah. Good morning, Edgar. Good morning. We took we took last week off. It was July 4th. It was. It was, and you got a little break.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> had a little, had a, I, I went and did a little bit of dancing uh, at the uh, the uh, Blue Heron uh, uh, Music Festival out in Sherman, New York. That's right. Yeah, it was with just fun and mom Yeah, just family, and uh, yeah, we just had a just wonderful uh, four days filled with. Uh, it's going to sound like a Woodstock advertisement of uh, just music and love and and a, and a good time. Yeah, we had a wonderful time.
1: Something about music. I wanted to ask you this morning mm-hmm. if um, if you take advantage of the Louisville Street Fair, close yes. to home. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, whoever's playing, it's always a good.
0: Yeah, they really they do a great job. I mean, the lineup every Friday, every Friday evening in Louisville, Colorado. There's just this beautiful uh, gathering that takes place uh, for the. Uh, for the street festival and live music. And we get some pretty good bands in there. Yeah.
1: yeah. Music is such an escape. I One of the things I will miss most, we send my youngest daughter, we send, we take her to college for her freshman year here later uh, this summer. And one of the things I will miss uh, a tremendous amount, I'm not always in the mood for it, but um, one of the things I will miss is she curates YouTube music for us in the evenings. Mm -hmm. So we might watch a show together or something as a family and then she curates music for us. Nice. Yeah. We were we were away last weekend with a bunch of family and we all started playing songs for each other. Um and there's something about music. Yeah. I mean I was in the in the car on the way in here and I it's nothing better to me than music in the car. And um I'm kinda there's a a band called Dispatch that I'm enjoying And then, um, and they're coming to play. Here, I'm thinking about getting tickets, Um, but the revivalists—I just am a big fan of the revivalists, and and their song "Soul Fight" just makes me sing very loudly in the car.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah. One of the nice things about the the Heron, uh, first of all, everyone uh, is—it's such a wonderful community gathering because it's been going on for a number of years. And uh, people camp, so you have people camping on the on the six hundred acre farm, out in the finger near the Finger Lakes, um, and it's just uh, it's a beautiful environment to be in, and uh, the uh, the community aspect of it is just so wonderful. The way people come together, and everyone greets each other by saying "Happy Heron," and uh, there's a certain language and, and uh, protocol that goes with that, and it's um, and then. There's a wooded area that people will camp and, and set up, and it's lit, uh, which is just fantastic. Uh, set of lights, and, um, and there's a lot of fires going, and people are sitting around the fires playing music. And there's some great musicians show up that play through the night until 4, 4 thirty, five o'clock in the morning. And then the main stage kicks up again at noon the next day. And it's just, uh, it's just, it's just wonderful.
1: That's, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, it would sound Woodstock-esque. Um, that sounds like a very uh, much more better planned Woodstock.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and the nice part about it, too, is while there's, con, there's food trucks and concessions there, they, uh, there's, there's, there's no boundaries in terms of what you can bring in so that you can bring your own cooler, your own food. People are cooking you know, over barbecues, and it's just uh, just as wonderful open environment that, that everybody's participating in, there's a couple of lakes to go swimming in, and yeah, yeah it's great.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah, you know, I think um, it sounds so uh, mentally relaxing too, Edgar.
0: It is, it is. I think that's what music does to us. It, it reconnects us to the soul, and um, it brings us. Uh, I th- I think music brings us a lot of, a lot of different, uh, a lot of key elements to our lives. Uh, yeah, the creativity, the motion the emotion that goes with it. Uh, it helps us to center ourselves again. There's just so many wonderful aspects associated with it. And, um, yeah, and you're talking about different bands. At, at Heron, uh, there's a lot of bands that I'm not familiar with and became familiar with that are just great and just amazing talents. And just everybody having a good time.
1: Yeah, it's so fun when you got that. I just had this flashback, my wife and I, when we were, um, newly married, we lived, uh, in central New York mm-hmm. and we had the local newspaper it was called the Syracuse new times. And, uh, it was where you found out about all the good music that was going on. But one of the things that was in there randomly one day was, uh, tickets to go see the Montreal Canadians. So for $60, you got two nights in a hotel, you got breakfast each morning, you got tickets to the game and you got beer and food at the game. I mean, I uh listen, it dates myself that that's the the that, that how inexpensive it actually was. But Montreal was a short 4-hour trip away from us. And why did I start talking about going to a sea hockey game? Because one of the nights we were up there, we were in the French part of of Montreal mm-hmm. and we went in this little old-world pub and we saw a band that I had never heard of to that to that point called Spirit of the West. Mm-hmm. And that is like a Canadian folk uh, and they had a couple of Canadian anthems, a little to my knowledge. And so we were all um, hanging in, you know, girl, you know, woman playing the fiddle. I, I mean, it was, you know, the whole place was was moving and shaking. And so, you know, being exposed to new music and just being open, open to having that. So much fun.
0: And there's also a tie to conversation for today, which is, I think music also creates an openness in us. Uh, there's a sense of of newness at times in music. There's also a sense of openness to our own emotion as it as we connect uh, through music. Uh, there's a lot. I think there's a lot in that that the, uh, the expressiveness and the un, uninhibited nature uh, of music as well.
1: Yeah, I know you're not a fan Edgar, of the of the or word. Um, but, you know, a lot of people will have conversations whether they um, live to work or work to live. Mm-hmm. And and we, uh, you know, a couple things that are kind of coming together this morning on the news, I don't know if you were watching the the local news this morning, but uh, uh, Ryan Frazier does our business brief on the Channel 9 News. Uh, he's a Regis alum, by the way, came and got his uh, master's in organizational leadership. But Ryan Frazier does that business brief every every week and, this week was about mental health um, and saying to business owners that your employees' mental health is is in danger and super important for the success of your organization and 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 as we talk about music being this kind of um, freeing experience, work seems to be the exact opposite. at least uh, more recently, uh, more so.
0: Yeah, I, I'm thinking about that, that idea. And I, and when we think about design, and we think about creative ways in which to engage in our work, I, I think it, in those moments, we can find that creative freedom that comes with it. Uh, let's go back to the definition of freedom. Freedom is the moments we exist without fear. And when we're uninhibited, and we're, and we're being highly creative, we're we're functioning. We're operating at a level where we're in the absence of fear, and that allows us to be that creative. And I think that you've just hit on something because in the workplace, in of itself, in so many instances, uh, the 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 context and the constraints are are fear-driven, as they are throughout you know different aspects of our lives. I think, in particular, you I think we find a lot of that in the workplace—a fear of. Um, not not performing well enough a fear of what you know a, a supervisor or a quote-unquote boss is going to say or um, the fear of how people are going to react to our our ideas and so inhibitions uh, driven by that fear show up and and I do think when we when we are at our best in performing and we find states of flow is when we're functioning without the fear getting in the way.
1: You know, when you when you describe kind of the Blue Heron Music Festival and in that festival environment, um, even in and amongst a group, it can feel so personal, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're you're there and 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 you can you can find that flow with the music. Personally, mm-hmm. um, I think what washes away a little bit is the idea that you're relying on other people, and in so many people's workplace. You know, you're relying on a supervisor, you're relying on a leader, you're relying on a co-worker um, to make it all function. You're not really alone in most workplaces. Um, so, you know, this idea of freedom, Edgar, as you mentioned, you know, being in, in the absence of, of fear, you know, that, that, that fear. I mean, can we take it back to our kind of um, uh, alignment framework, true alignment mm-hmm. framework? This idea is—is is that fear for not being um, competent, as you mentioned, or is it really not having a t- attention? I mean, I, I wonder which one of those foundational human emotions is really the one in play.
0: Yeah, and then there's also the aspect of it, acceptance. So, I—I yeah. I, it, I think it's situational. Um, it is situational. I think that at different times we'll have different fears emerging in terms of being ostracized or being excluded or or, um, not being heard and finding ourselves at a place of not having enough sense of self-worth because of that. Uh, And at other times we're at the the risk of showing up as incompetent or not good enough and failing. And and other times I think it's just a matter of, of whether or not and I think this is really at the deepest levels at the core of creativity is can I express myself and have the freedom to express myself without the fear of of rejection, of not being not being accepted for who I am and to express at that level before before we uh, came on today we we uh, thought about the idea of today's conversation being about empathy and compassion. And then uh, as I thought about that, I thought about empathy being the, the quest to understand someone else's experience. It's different than sympathy. Sympathy, we align our emotional state to someone as we sympathize. And empathizing is really about seeking to understand, which is, I think, the gateway then to this idea of compassion. Because at the end of the day, compassion is truly about accepting someone who they are
1: so I'm going to bring the, the movie reference in here really early because mm-hmm. I just happened to watch this movie this weekend for the first time and so I don't think it's going to be a movie that everybody can relate to so I'm going to have to do a lot of description so you'll excuse uh, my poor poor descriptors here but um, in our family especially given the age of my kids Harry Potter was a big part of our growing up and so of course we made it our way through all of the books reading together um, in all of the movies
0: how many Potter books are there
1: I think there were six.
0: Six. I think three of them are on Stephen King's top 10 book list.
1: I mean, they are. I remember um, fantasy has never been really my, um, even though I grew up with Star Wars, um, fantasy was never really my genre that I went to. But I remember the first time we read that, uh, the first Harry Potter book with the kids. And I said, oh, my God, this is going to change how people read. And it's going to make people want to read. I mean, and it was, we couldn't wait to get the next book um, and read it out loud with our kids. But you know, they after the movies end and and the writer kind of stepped away. I um, the draw of Hollywood and, and coming back and putting out more films. I think just 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 made its way back. And there's a Fantastic Beast trilogy um, that is a continuation, uh, kind of side story uh, of the background stories. Um, it's kind of Star Wars esque. It's the prequels of Harry Potter. And. Um, the Fantastic Beasts trilogy has uh, Eddie Redmayne as the actor plays a gentleman named Newt Scamander, and he's a a magizoologist. So he finds all these fantastic beasts, um, and he's the one that uh, captures them. He actually carries them around in a uh, suitcase. You know, sometimes he's protecting them, sometimes he's letting them out and uh, managing them, uh, etc. But and so he, here's the description, and here's why I bring up this movie <laughs> reference.
0: I'm thinking to myself, yeah, okay. Now, now we can start talking about baggage too, while we're at it. Okay.
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, one of the things you said to me, Edgar, that brings this this movie to mind was this idea of being the authentic self. Mm-hmm. And so, there was a scene in this movie where um, his brother had been magically um, put in this uh, holding cell that was protected by all these nasty beasts, and one of them was a a scorpion crab-like beast. And and Eddie Redmayne's character had to mimic the movement of that beast to get past him. So he had to not be himself. This, you, to, you can tease me if this is too far of a stretch, but he had to not be himself and do this kind of crab dance to get to the door to rescue his brother. Um, right? Because if he didn't, then the crabs would attack and things like this. So, You know, I just, I I wonder if in the workplace right now, the the mental health issue, the great resignation we started this from, the fear is, there's a business fear of not being successful and not continuing, not growing perhaps. But there's the individual workers fear too, I think of, can I really be myself here? And, and and you know i you mentioned kind of empathy and compassion. there's a directionality conversation in many workplaces about which direction empathy and compassion go. do they go from the worker to the leader, or do they go from the leader to the worker yeah and and it should be and i mean please you should kick me under the table here that should be an and
0: i um what is so much in this there just is. I I begin with the the idea of um, how it is that so often in the workplace we do take on the personas that are required. And so right there you say, well, how much of that is the true me or not the true me? And I think that's one of the great questions because we talk a a lot about culture and organizations and culture really is the, the way we use it is the definition is that Um, culture is is how people succeed. It's how we engage in individual and collective success and what are the behaviors we engage in and what are the relationships we engage in. And that then dictates what are the rules of what's acceptable and unacceptable behavior. Because I can can definitely say here's the values of the organization and how they're interpreted and how they're used can differ from person to person let alone people's experience of how consistent they're they're applied and so this idea of what behaviors do I take on to create my own success and how aligned are they to the, the real me and the authentic me uh that question is raised because very often you'll hear people say you know to be to, get, to be successful on the bus you got to know the rules on the bus right and I may not like the rules, but if I know how to participate, then I can be successful. Well, that right then and there then raises the question: How authentic and how true and aligned are you being to yourself as you participate to whatever by whatever your definition of success is? So there's there's that one piece there, and how much do I concern myself and carry that with me? That that's a piece, and then you start thinking about um, compassion and if you were really going to extend that out to understand how compassion works in different cultures or environments, then the key question is, what's the flow of that compassion? In what direction? And how, in effect, it is so. Um, there's such a great degree of reciprocity connected with compassion, as well as an inward journey that takes place. So I'm going to try to create some clarity here as best as I can, the way that I, that I that I see this is that if I'm going to give you compassion, then I need to be able to understand the source of that compassion within myself. So, in order to receive you and really accept who you are, I need to also understand what it means to accept myself. Compassion and the giving of forgiveness. Or asking for forgiveness as well as a, is is a gift, also to the self, because in order for me to be able to forgive you, I need to be able to understand how to forgive myself, and um, that's that inward journey part of it. And so I think that when you think about cultures, empathy, compassion, and then alignment, it's a uh, it's not just an outward expression it's an inward journey that we participate in whether we're conscious of it or not
1: we um you know my experience with that Edgar uh with with a handful of leaders is there's often an amount of insecurity of those unwilling to have that internal understanding and Mm -hmm. compassion for self um you know we've I, we've seen that many times with some of the businesses we've worked with um you know been parts of organizations where that insecurity of a leader that's unwilling to have that compassion for self and i you know and i'm 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 working with uh one of our clients right now and one of the amazing things that i see is um a new employee that's trying to learn the rules on the bus mm-hmm. and, and themselves simultaneously but the recognition that they're the person they're working for is really learning a new, a a new role. And, and really is trying to figure out is having some self-compassion to figure out themselves. Mm -hmm. And, and the, and, you know, the person, the person that reports to them is realizing that. So they're a little more forgiving when things don't go well, because there is a, an honest conversation and there's an honest learning, um,
0: yeah, and I, I agree with you on that because of the honest conversation and the honest learning also then asks of the leader to say, I don't know. And we realize this because the, when we think about, and this goes back to that idea that knowledge speaks and wisdom listens, that um, as a leader, if I don't know or if I'm new to the game of leadership, uh, all too often what we do is people trying to play the role it goes onto that context of, uh, you know, fake it till you make it kind yeah. of you know, approach to things. Um, and people, of course, around you will see that. And so what, what I find to be so powerful is when leaders, especially those that are new to the role, they have a willingness to inquire and ask questions, begin, begin simply with understanding and asking questions about people's expectations of who they are as a leader and what that role looks like.
1: So many times, I mean, we've intersected with folks and, um, we see a lot that the leader doesn't understand, um, how and what, well, what and how the work gets done, mm-hmm. what the work is and how it gets done. Um, you know, this was a conversation, um, on our, on our daily dog walks with my wife. Um, they have a new leader and that they report to, and there's a lot of, uh, command and demand, um, especially in an organization that employs a lot of part time people and has some moving targets. You know, I think we have it here at Regis too. And I know that, um, you know, one of the things I've been asking my, my leader is, well, one of the one of the things I've been puzzling about is that a leader needs to know about themselves needs to help find a future state and define that future state and then must, must care about how we do that. I mean, this is, this is the compassion part, right? You need to know how the work gets done in order to bridge that gap between the present state and the future state. But you have to, the leader has to have a desire, has to have a desire to help the human beings get there.
0: The simple language here is I need to understand what your challenges are. So the leader needs to know what the challenges are, the people around them that they're working with. And those challenges can be struggles. So what do we struggle with when we think about what's working, what's not? And then what do we struggle with underlying, of course, is now we're back to the fear. And then you start thinking about what's the role of compassion is to be able to um, I empathize and then not blame someone for their fear. Uh, understanding your fear is one thing and then not holding, not blaming you for it, rather moving to a place of accepting that and understanding it at the level of accepting it then allows you to problem solve it, to start looking at it differently, not just to look at it through win or lose or you're going to succeed or fail, rather begin to, Use compassion and understanding to find a, a way of moving through. It goes back, and I think we've talked about this before as well. It's worth worth revisiting. A lot of people say we're going to work around the fear. You know, we're going to get around it. Uh, as a leader, I think it's it and really is more about helping people move through their fear, being able to see it for what it is, and then move through it and see it that there's the daily struggles that people have, that there's a that sense of empathy and compassion that and a humility from a leader's perspective, from being able to say, I really don't know, I'd like to understand, I'd like to know, I'd like to have a better idea. And I can, and you're right, from the self-awareness piece, I agree with you wholeheartedly, you're unable to do that with others unless you're willing to do that with yourself. You have
1: advice for somebody that comes in new to an organization, and is put in a leadership position on how, um, you know, I was always brought up with a bunch of different leaders that had, uh, you know, you just you just watch, listen, and ask questions for the first thirty days, ninety days, hundred twenty days, whatever the whatever the length of time is. Um, but do you have advice for for a new leader how they can come in and do those things?
0: Yeah. First of all, to take on that mindset that that's the experience that you want to have is an is an open one, and a, and to be very receptive, and then to uh, on on the side of and broader, from a broader uh, standpoint, be able to ask questions, to listen, to be very observant, not to not right away want to have the answers for everyone, rather to ask people for their answers, uh, for their for their ideas. That's a, there's that piece of it. And then I think if you really want to come at it strategically, then you start looking at the culture keys that we use when we help to define and measuring and observing a culture, which gives you great insight into how things work. So you can actually, if you wanted to be much more specific to ask questions and seek to understand some really primary elements of the culture and how, how it functions uh, one is to pay attention to who has power and influence and why. How are problems solved? What are the processes or how do people engage one another in solving problems? What are the paths to how decisions get made? And be observant of that. We've talked about this one as well in in previous podcasts, which is be very observant of how conflict gets managed. Uh, the management of conflict is one of one of the key indicators of how cultures function and how people find their way and their path to success in the culture. So paying attention to that. So to really look at it through the lens, I can be very specific and say, here's some pieces to really pay attention to. Power and influence, problem solving, decision-making, conflict management, how people are rewarded, how people behave towards others in terms of how their successes and failures are dealt with and responded to. Uh, How people really listen and communicate Again, broad to becoming more specific about those pieces. So, what I would suggest is you go to the culture keys. You know, there's 15 elements, and you can you can be pretty observant to those, and you can prepare yourself for that as a means of better understanding what leadership and what the culture and what the organization looks like, and how to be more successful in it.
1: Edgar, yeah, thank so you. So,
0: from the broad to the specific,
1: yeah. I mean, I think those three processes, you know, in addition to power and influence, those three processes, which are not, um, you have to know that there's a there's a process to follow. And then the leader's ability to use that process um, can be tailored and individualized. But it's not uh one-off every single time.
0: It's not. And then what you'll find is that people will have different interpretations of, how how they're attaining success, so it's important again to be to be an inquirer, to be a listener, to uh, to come at it that way, and, and a great reminder: humility goes a long way. Yeah,
1: you know, when uh, when I'm helping people start businesses, the the distinction between a product based business and a service based business um, is an important distincter in some sense. That stated, I think many people try and make a service-based business more product-like. Right? We look for efficiencies. We look for uh, standardization. And and that's why I brought up that point. That even when you have those processes, it's not a, it's not I've I've stamped you like the old foundry version of. Problem solved, right? I mean, because because there's nuance and complexity in, in in how you apply that process. Still, um, can I mean, and this is one of those things where I see so many service-based businesses that lean towards a, a manufacturing um, treat everybody the same. Mm-hmm. This goes back to the earlier conversation. I mean, who am I if I am treated? Identically to the person next to me. Um, is that a vestige of just kind of older manufacturing-based business? What I mean, how do we do this in a service-based business?
0: Uh, I, you know, I, there's, there's, probably. Uh, I'm going to say there's a, there's several influencers to that. One is scientific management, going all the way back to Taylorism. How do you take the human error, you know, out of out of the uh, equation? And um, how do you standardize to the point where everything is so predictable in terms of the performance outcomes we're going to get? And you apply that thinking in a manufacturing context, and then you apply it in an engineering context, and next thing you know, you're applying it in a in different forms of service, right? And um, yeah, it's so much so much of that is that we yearn for that predictability of success, and and I think <laughs> I, I you want to peel away at it. A lot of this is because we don't, uh, we don't, we talk a pretty good game of letting people fail and fail fast and let's move on. And our reality is, is, is uh, all too often we find ourselves stuck in this game of, of, uh, of blame and, and failure focus, where we where we focus on the things that are going wrong or not going well enough, and or seeing that uh, failure is a way of learning, just like you know life, and then. To show some compassion to people when they don't succeed.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you say that. When I came to work here in in this business school, I had a, a handful of questions, and, and one of them, very bluntly, for my for my who was going to be my new boss was, um. How do you feel about failure? Right, I mean, and that was a. Uh, I wanted to watch. I wanted to watch him answer. Uh-huh. Right, I wanted to see if he recoiled. Um, you know, cause his words were right, you know, failure is just part of the process. Yeah. Um, but saying that and meaning it are, are, are really two different things. I wonder if data, data has exacerbated this desire for standardization, right? I mean, to, you know, take the human error out of this is, you know, we have data. I, I was just having this conversation with, with my boss last week. Um, she had sent me some data and she said that should make it easy to make a decision. And I was like, Oh, actually, I think that complicates the decision because now I have to be so close between, you know, do I make a certain decision at the number 45?
0: I'm refining the line. Or at
1: 50? (laughs) Like, I don't, you know, I mean, this is the, um, I just think it got way more complicated. You know, when I have a lot and a little, uh, the decisions become really easy.
0: Yeah, and that's it. it's fascinating to me where AI is going, right? Artificial intelligence moving in that direction beyond robotics and everything, and and connecting it to human emotion. And what are we trying to do? Is is build constructs around human emotion in a way of of, of in a way trying to simplify it to a degree of predictability? That yeah, there's a just not gonna happen. There we're always gonna the reason that we're learning to love outliers as much as we are. Um, other than a great book by Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, great, <laughs> great book, yes. If we're learning to love outliers is because that's real life. Yeah. And that's the way things work. And uh, much like suddenness and, and how things happen gradually until they appear suddenly, right? It's We uh, we, we gravitate very naturally. And coming back to your question about um, establishing predictability in, in service environments, um we gravitate towards that because we love the predictability. We love the security. What it does is it allows us to um, navigate fear. And what uh, and what we have to be able to do is understand that all of those um, variables that exist in the world around us aren't going to go away. They're not. So what creativity allows us to do and going all the way back to where we started and uh, the music... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Is uh, music allows us to have some predictability of beat and rhythm and and a familiarity, and at the same time, it allows us to go boundaryless into understanding ourselves and our being, and yeah. that's the game, and that's what, at the end of the day, I would suggest you business is all about. It is, it is the ever uh, uh, the um, the ongoing desire of us to want to explore what's possible in the world around us, and innovate that's what it's about
1: you know I'm so I'm so simple-minded Edgar um, here's the, here's the image that comes flying into my head about a business
0: the person in this room was simpler the simplest one is me but go ahead
1: <laughs> so far from that the um, the vision that comes into my head is kind of like a human kite right we're, we're all holding hands and the wind is blowing and and you know we can say just hold on. But the reality is, there's all of these things coming at each part of that human chain in a business.
0: And if you pull too tight, the kite crashes.
1: Yeah, I. You know, I'm just. Uh, we 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 know this. We we've uh, the business, the 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 big heads that study business have written about this uh, about the importance of the of the human. Um, we have tomes and tomes of of writings and studies on leadership. Um, you know, I think this is the, again, this is the elegant simplicity of the true alignment framework. Because, because you are, you know, what's missing in, in much that's written about business is the connection, right? I mean, in the true alignment framework starts from the customer and the brand and builds into the culture and the leader, but it puts that chain together to realize when one is when one is up and the other one's down how much the business is going to struggle. So
0: yep. And then we're back to every misalignment is an opportunity. There it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To explore. All right.
1: Thanks for the conversation today. Yeah,
0: we're out of time. Thank you very much for the conversation.
1: Yeah. Uh Jim, what what music is uh exciting you right now?
2: Uh, actually, I just had one um let's see if I can find it fast enough. It was uh manu i'm gonna butcher this name Manu Diabongo. and it was a the title of the song was groovy flute huh yeah that's kind of what I'm getting into this week very cool
1: mm-hmm. very very cool yeah I, my my daughter has turned me on the Spotify, and they you know they're loading. They're loading new bands that I d- I'm unaware of into the playlist. And I so appreciate the, just the exposure.
2: Yeah, I think that's the best part about Spotify and some of those apps is like, you know, the creating the radios based around the the songs and the artists that you like so much, like just fills you in on people you've never even heard of. Yeah. Like I never would have found this group probably or the skinny, but you know. We got lucky with that one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Shout out. Nick, Nick Smart uh, played with Don on the Buffalo and, uh, up on the main stage at the Heron, which was just so exciting. He's such a great player. Yeah, I'm so. super
2: jealous. I uh, really <laughs> wish we would have got to go out there with you guys.
0: Yeah, it was great. All righty then. Uh, our best to, to everyone out there, as always, questions, thoughts, comments, anything at all, a welcome info at com, where you can just go ahead and reach out to us directly through contact information as you can find it. And, um, Ken, any yeah. parting words?
1: No. Um, thank you to the audience, the global audience, for uh, listening to the podcast. We're so enjoying this. This was episode 29. Um, I had visions this, this weekend about um, what it's going to mean to put 52 episodes in, uh, a year's worth of episodes, and we're more than halfway there.
0: Oh, good one. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ken.
1: Yeah, I'm Ken Sagendorf.
0: Thank you, Jim. I'm Edgar Papke. Thank you, guys. See you next time around.
2: True Alignment Podcast.